0: Learn Persian with Chayan conversation. Growing up Iruni conversation with the Caspian chef. Hi everyone, and welcome to the Growing Up Iruni interview series where I talk to prominent Iranians in the diaspora about their experience of, well, growing up Iruni in the West. Today's interview is with Omi Drustai, also known as the Caspian chef. I first learned about him from one of his lovely recipes on his blog. In fact, I'm almost sure it was for kalam podo or a cabbage rice recipe, which is fantastic, by the way. I really love the way he writes about recipes, the way he explains the idea behind the dishes, and also his methods of cooking are very relatable to me. I also follow him on Instagram and always really enjoy his voice and videos. We cover a lot in this interview. In fact, it's one of the longest ones I've ever done. We go over how to find your passion, growing up feeling like an other in a foreign land, and whether or not it's important to know and understand the Persian language. I learned so much from Omid and felt like he took me down some unexpected paths. He's not your whole grew up in the diaspora and held on to his roots type of person. He really strayed from the Iranian culture and found his way back through food after decades of living in the United States. Hope you enjoy this interview as I did. Omid Stahid, thank you so much for talking with me today, finally after. <laughs> Actually, this is exactly one year after we planned to talk the first time.
1: Yes, yes.
0: Yeah, and pandemic and uh, Texas ice storm and (laughs) vaccinations and all of that got in the way. But here we are. (laughs) Yes. So I'm very happy to, to talk with you today. So Omid has the blog and the Instagram page and social presence of The Caspian Chef. And he makes amazing Iranian food and his uh, recipes. Your recipes are in a way that I really appreciate and I've really connected mm. with. So I, I really appreciate it. I've been That's using awesome. your recipes a lot over the years. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's wonderful. I I am utterly pleased when we got introduced. It was through you cooking one of my dishes, whichever one it was. Um, and ever since we've stayed connected and, and ever since you've cooked, quite a few and have done me proud and honored me with (laughs) acknowledging and 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 uh, really been appreciative of your uh, your work on that front.
0: (laughs) Well, thank you. And you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of Iranian um, chefs right now, which we'll talk about in a bit. But there are just some that you connect with very well, you know, with the recipes and with the background. And I'm sure I wanted to have this conversation with you because I think we'll connect a lot on that front. Um, But there is something really beautiful that you wrote um, at the beginning of one of your recipes. It was a recipe that has badim jun in it. I'm not sure which one, but um, I really loved what you wrote. So I was wondering if we can start by reading that and then we'll go into your background and get to where you are today. That
1: sounds lovely. So this is what I wrote. Um, I have to confess that I'm quite embarrassed and shy about my ability to speak Farsi after nearly 40 years of living outside of Iran. So to do these live events, despite my rusty Farsi, I end up looking up words preemptively in my translator app in order to explain myself adequately. Forty years ago, I lugged two massive English to Persian and Persian to English dictionaries from Iran to the U.S. to help me learn English. I find it quite ironic that today I need an app to help me express myself in Farsi. I am really happy to say that after a few sessions, I am now... And now find it, uh, find the experience a little less daunting and actually look forward to getting reacquainted with my mother
0: tongue. Yeah, I really connected with that. I thought that was a really beautiful way of putting it. Um, and so I want to go back. Let's let's talk about your history. Um, and, you know, you wrote this about two years ago, so I'm excited to hear how things have developed since then. Uh, so take us back to uh, where were you born and when did you move to the U.S.?
1: So I was born uh, decades ago, (laughs) as I like to say, in the 1900s in Tehran. Uh, So I was born and raised in Tehran, and this is you know the city that I'm most related to and associated with as part of the uh, my childhood. While I certainly uh, grew up in Tehran, but having parents that came from the northern part of the country, a city called Babol. So we spent a lot of our holidays every long weekend and summer times up north. Uh, We had a little little villa in a suburb, in a Caspian Sea suburb called Daria Kenar. And so we spent every holiday and every vacation up there. And so I have this deep and big <clears throat> affinity toward that part of of the country. But I was born and raised in Tehran.
0: Ah, hence the name uh, Caspian Chef. Caspian
1: it's Chef. Yes. So <laughs> okay. that's where it all came together. I think I was, you know, I had started the blog and I really didn't know where I was going to go, what I was going to do. And then it was just became clear like, oh, you need to also have a social media presence and who are you going to be? And I think it all kind of coincided with well, what is my identity? What is what is my branding essentially? Mm-hmm. And well, I, well,
0: before we get all to, to all of that, um, so when what was it that brought you to the United States? When did you guys meet?
1: So I left Iran in late 1983. Um, it was just a few years, obviously after the revolution, and it was obviously a difficult time in the history of Iran. Uh, the Iraq and Iran War was was going on. And so I left, Um, my parents had stayed in Iran. My brother was already in the US. So I left on my own and uh, much like many other Iranians, when they immigrate out of Iran, I think you don't necessarily go directly to US but rather you end up in, in other places. I ended up in Europe and I stayed in Europe for about less than a year. Until I can sort out my visas and permissions and all the things. And in early or mid-84, then I was able to finally come to the U.S. and begin high school uh, or continue, rather, my high school here uh, in the U.S.
0: So when you got to the U.S., what was your uh, relationship with the uh, English language? Did you know it or? Yeah.
1: Um, So I think it was very clear um that i will be leaving iran since my my brother was already out of the country it was inevitable that i was going to leave so for that reason i remember like after finishing my junior high and my uh years and the freshman year in high school then i would go to a separate school to learn english so that really supported me and helped me to learn vocabulary and 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 grammar but really, ultimately, nothing is going to prepare you for when you land in the U.S. And you know, one of the stories I always tell: I came to the U.S. and I went directly to a boarding school. And there's there's a funny here too in Sedona, Arizona. Like okay. I went to high school in Sedona, which is wow. just <laughs> absurd in in a in a in a delightful way. Yeah. Um, and I remember going to the school and I am as isolated as I have ever been. And I distinctly remember, you know, some kid saying, Hey, what's up? And all I could do was to look up to see what is up. Right. <laughs> and, and I struggled with that or how's it going? And I'm like, where are we going? What's happening? Why what did nobody tell me where we're going? So while we can, while I prepared a lot and learned a lot, um, obviously the accent was an issue, uh, vocabulary and idioms, all of these things were, uh, difficult and it took a while obviously to, to l- finally learn enough so that, um, then there's the progression of finishing high school and starting college and
0: uh, right. starting
1: that process.
0: And so when you came, you were, you know, you were kind of of age already, right? You'd, uh, had a lot of, experience with Iranian culture and everything. What was your relationship with Iranian culture when you got here? Especially at the time, too, you know, there was a lot of anti-Iranian sentiment. Did you feel that? And did you try to stay away from it or did you hold on to it?
1: Yeah, Um, it's as as it is the case with most Iranians. It's just the answer is very complicated, right? It's never nothing ever so simple. Um, I left at a difficult age in from Iran um, and you know, while today I know words like assimilation back in 1984, that was not a concept that I was familiar with. All I knew was I was different. It was very fortunate that I never really had a blatantly negative experience. But I distinctly remember, you know, after these what's up, you know, uh, issues and dilemmas of not fully understanding what's going on around me. And I realized that it's most likely that I'm not going to return to Iran. Um, while I certainly had not plotted out my life at age 16, 17, but at that time, it just really seemed like that public wasn't going to happen. So how do I make this work so that I'm not such a foreigner, such an awkwardly speaking uh, kid t- desperately trying to fit in? and not knowing even how to fit in. So one of the things that I distinctly remember is that I said to myself, I need to learn this language well enough because I would hear a lot of what, huh? And and to this day, you know, decades later, no two words trigger me like when somebody says what and huh, because I hear, why aren't you speaking proper English? Well, that's certainly not the case. That's my own trigger point. Um, But that those were the kind of the events that led to, I'm going to make this home. I have to make this home. And hence began this unconscious process of assimilation that I need to belong. I need to look a certain way. I need to speak a certain way. I need to dress a certain way, behave in a certain way that I don't stand out as a foreigner
0: that i am <laughs> wow yeah and things have changed a lot now with uh you know social media and in general pe- people being connected i think that there's a there's an iranian that i follow on um on instagram he has a thing called english with badia have you ever seen that no oh he's so he came in middle school also And then he teaches English to Iranians and he teaches exactly the type of thing that you say. So he's only like 11, 12 years old that he goes, what's up, what's (laughs) up? And then he explains it. And it's so sweet. He has, you know, he lives in D.C. So he has a lot of foreign friends and they come with him, too. And he teaches them. (laughs) I love it. Yeah, I think with things like that, you know, if you would had something like that, that would have been so different.
1: Absolutely. Um, You know, my experience, you know, certainly didn't have, I didn't have a role model. I didn't have a community of any kind, really. And this is a a boarding school outside of Sedona in the middle of nowhere. And there is not an Iranian in miles. (laughs) Wow. So, which I think kind of led to what happened next is the uncertainty around not knowing if, if ever, when, let's say, I would return to Iran and also lack of community, um, I think I then built a life that really didn't have any Iranian bits and pieces in it.
0: Ah. OK, yeah. Tell me about that. So uh, where did you go to college? And you were telling me you uh, traveled to Phoenix and Flagstaff and right. take over this. So uh,
1: um, after wrapping up my uh, school year in Sedona, then I moved to Flagstaff. And Blackstaff is where I started high school and then quickly realized, like, it, going into a public school as a senior is hard on a good day. And if, if you're not from around there and if you don't speak the language well enough, then it became at times excruciatingly just difficult and lonely. And so I had enough wits about me at that time to realize that maybe I don't need to finish high school. Maybe I could take GED, the equivalent high school diploma test, which I did. And then um, excelled at science and math and not necessarily so much on U.S. history <laughs> and, and such. Right? And But I passed so that I could then start uh, at Northern Arizona University that is in Flagstaff. And I started in, uh, I think it was winter of 85 or something. And that's when I started my college years. And Flagstaff in 1985, while there were a few Iranians, it's certainly not a hub of uh, Iranophiles. So it's, it just, again, the mindset also wasn't about seeking that connection. The mindset still was, and for many, many more years, continued to be the, how do I appear less me and more what I should look like and what I should be. And so it just kind of became a continuation of uh, assimilating um, and wanting to not feel like an outsider. And so, yeah, a few years in Flagstaff. And so I, I studied microbiology and chemistry um, and there's not much to do. There is a water treatment plan in Flagstaff, and that's the only job you could ever get. And if you don't get that job, there's really not much else to do in Flagstaff in the 80s. uh, Where was your brother at this point? He had moved uh, to Tucson, and he was pursuing his advanced education down in Tucson. Okay. So... After graduating, it just seemed like the next best thing to do is to move to Phoenix. And uh, it took a bit of an effort because Phoenix also isn't necessarily known earlier, certainly in that timeline, as a biotech city. So I struggled and I finally found my first microbiology job and I was on top of the world and it was great, except it was really hot. <laughs> it was right. really hot and the job was great. Um, but it certainly there was no future in in this little tiny biotech company that I, uh, that I got a job that was struggling financially on its own. Oh, no. um, I had heard of Seattle. I had had a friend that lived in Seattle briefly. So I started talking with them and, and got really inspired to maybe change my life circumstances and move away from Phoenix. And so I did, and there's a long story, but you know, that, that those are the times where you literally will go to the bookstore and wait for the Seattle times shipment to be flown in. Like uh-huh. that's how I found the job that moved wow. me centrally to Seattle to a wanted ad on a newspaper. Um, I came out here and I was, I, they, I flew out here in Seattle on a beautiful June day. Uh-huh. I fell in love. Right. I mean, the, <laughs> what is not to love blue skies, blue water, cool temperature. And I was like, I don't care what the job is. I want to live here. And so when they offered me the job, I stumbled over myself to get get myself to Seattle. Fast forward 30 years later, here I am living in this beautiful green and blue city.
0: All right. And did your brother (laughs) come with you or is he still...
1: No, his path took him to, you know, Arizona, he remained in Arizona and then he, his job took took him to different States and, and he continues to move around based on his job to different States. But, uh, I think his heart is in California and one day perhaps he will return back to
0: California. Okay. But you are saying your mother has moved to Seattle with you.
1: That's right. So my mom now lives with me. I care for her. And, um, it's been a couple of years, and so it's it's fascinating um, because I wasn't living at home since the age of sixteen, and uh, being more or less independent and on my own since uh, early early years. So it's more, it's complex. So I, so I can certainly look at it as a as a child and as a human, and also as a therapist. I'm looking at the complex relationship between a mom and a child, early development later in life. And so it's been fascinating. It's been fascinating. And I think a a significant area of growth, certainly for me.
0: Right. Well, going (laughs) back to Seattle, though, so once you got there, is that where you started um, becoming more acquainted with the diaspora or or what was your path in Seattle?
1: Yeah, no, I continued on this path of uh, I'm beating my own drums and want to belong in this society. So I never really pursued. I think um, initially I remember I um, bumped into someone that, that kind of introduced me to Oh, there is a no ruse par- a outing at this park, and I went and I felt so out of place. Wow, okay. I felt so out of place because i hadn't I hadn't set up a no ruse half scene I hadn't celebrated it for decades seems like for a long time um and so when I went to that see event, I just really felt like. I, I'm, I'm just as much of a foreigner and, and in this community. And that really just was it. And then I just never pursued it, never did anything until years later um, when at some point I decided that, that biotech is wonderful and grateful, great, but I don't think I belong in that line of work. I had changed my own diet. I became a vegetarian. And uh, I started looking at food and how food perhaps could be cancer preventative. I was working in cancer research, ironically, at Biotech.
0: Interesting. Okay.
1: And I started looking at food from a different lens and how it was changing me and my relationship with food and the animals I stopped eating. Um, And it became very clear that I wanted to pursue that. So I went to cooking school and we can talk a lot about that. But um, I came back. With a metaphoric chef code, and I started teaching vegan cooking classes, and it was wonderful until this this place that I taught. They were like, "Oh wait, you're a chef, you're an Iranian. You should teach Persian classes. Oh uh-huh. sure, absolutely, I should teach <laughs> Persian cooking classes. Uh-huh. I should probably learn <laughs> how to make
0: to make wow. these dishes uh, yes. so then- and
1: it was just the strangest experience because. I started cooking Persian food following recipes, but I had no concept of, you know, what we say in Farsi, or that the food needs to set or the amount of oil you use and how the oil needs to restart, like all these nuances and subtleties and techniques. I just knew how to read a recipe and attempt to recreate it. And I am the will that there are no pictures of the food <laughs> I made wow. because it was just runny and watery and, and just, I had no concept, but I was teaching it. And, and at some point I, I even stopped that and I no longer was teaching just really bad Persian cooking <laughs> classes to people.
0: <laughs> well, so from the time you were 16, not only had you not had Persian food, you hadn't been speaking Persian at all, right? Right. Right? And you just been trying to be just you were more American.
1: <laughs> that's right. That's right. I mean, I would obviously speak words and sentences when I would call my mother. Uh, but um this these weren't long drawn out conversations, these right. were chit chats, these were and just... you were
0: becoming a professional in English as well. Right. So your right. advanced so, your advanced uh, vocabulary was all English.
1: That's right. That's right, I you know I got I earned my bachelor's and master's degree, obviously here in the u s. and so um my fluency started slipping in in England, in Farsi, rather, um, and I was no longer receiving letters from Iran. <laughs> you know, that was a thing that happened, right and, and after thirty years, you know, what is there to say? The weather is still raining in Seattle, <laughs> right? So right. <laughs> the letters stopped and, and the communications, you know, whether we call it Finglish or whatever combo of English and, and Farsi uh, that I would speak. And my mother's English improved. So, what well, we wouldn't again have drawn out conversations in English, but there was just a mixture of things. And and I don't know what happened, or well, I know exactly what happened, but I don't know um, when I realized when I started reading something and I realized I am having a devil of a time reading this. I cannot understand this.
0: Amazing.
1: I started reading like what I would imagine how I was reading in first, second, third grade. Sounding out the letters is how I was trying to pronounce these Farsi words. And and even that wasn't an inspiration to do anything. I just accepted it for, yep, losing Farsi. and, And it was just, as a matter of fact,
0: and you and your brother as well. You started speaking in English.
1: English, yeah, wow. I speak entirely English with them, right?
0: Okay, that's interesting <laughs> to me because I do feel like for me, I have this. Um, it's very hard for me to speak. I you know, I've been in the U.S. since I was four, but it is so hard for me to speak to my family in anything but Farsi because ah. I feel like that's our language. I, that's how I express myself in to them. So then if I try to switch, I feel like a phony.
1: <laughs> well, that makes sense. And while I don't know, obviously, your movement and, and, and moving to the U.S. process, you know, we all came at different timelines. My brother right. came, I came, my mother came after my dad passed away. So there wasn't a we came together and we brought our culture with us in a, in a, in a predictable form or in a cohesive form. My brother went one way. I went the other way. And my mother kind of came in and and stayed within between the two of us.
0: Right. Well, a big part of your identity now is also psychotherapy. So I haven't heard where that where did that come in?
1: (laughs) Where did that come in? Indeed. Um, So I did when I went to cooking school. um, And what year
0: was this that you started cooking school?
1: I went to place it. Boulder, Colorado. I went to this delicious, uh, plant-based intuitive cooking school in 90, in 1998. Um, and then I came back to Seattle and worked as a private chef and started teaching cooking classes oh, Amazing! And okay. I was thriving. I loved it. I loved it. I, you and I had an earlier conversation about how the transition from our former jobs and then financially reaches a point where it's now feasible on its own. And that's what it felt like with cooking, that I created a new job for myself. And then I began matching my own salary from what I was getting at uh, a biotech. So, But I felt so empowered to have created this job and, and trajectory for myself. So I did that, and along my path in in natural food and in and good uh, plant-based food, I also stumbled into yoga. I don't seem to do anything lightly. I, I devoted myself to practice of yoga, and I became a yoga teacher, and I started teaching yoga classes. and <laughs> And it was just a really good good life for me. It was just doing the things that I liked, and um. There was a random coincidence that a friend of me had asked me to write a uh, recommendation letter for her to be a, to for this uh, program, and I'm reading about this program and had never heard about this program or this school, and and as I read it and as I prepare to write a letter of recommendation for her, I ask her. If she'd be willing, and this was my uh, master's of counseling program, I was so inspired. I feel like if that need was there in me, I just hadn't verbalized it or vocalized it. Because I always thought about, so I'm supporting people in their physical health through, through nutrition. And I'm also supporting people through their movement, with the yoga practice, with their spiritual side. And then there is this brain bit, right? You know, I was attending counseling, you know, very various stages in my life I certainly needed the support and got the right support. And I thought and then there's the brain piece. How do I also tap into that? And and this beautiful school really matched exactly what I needed. And so she wrote me a re- recommendation <laughs> letter and I waited and the next quarter I got admitted, and and then I was a student of psychology at uh, our local university here.
0: So that's amazing. Uh, this sounds like the American dream. You just <laughs> you got irony. the practical. You got the like Iranian biotech. Okay, you got that. You fit. Yes, there. and then and then you pursued your dreams. That's amazing.
1: Yeah, and and I wish I wish I could have given myself permission to have pursued what i think i was good at or what i wanted to do um quick story on my undergraduate you know i while i did get a bachelor of science in chemistry and microbiology it was not easy that that information did not come to me easily um i failed my chemistry class who was taught by my academic advisor (laughs) And and he you know he asked me to come to the office and we were talking and he's looking at my my uh, transcripts and reports and cart and uh, grades rather and, and he's like Omid you're excelling at humanities have you considered and all I could think was I wish the ground would open up and suck me through it because I'd be ashamed to study anything but science, because that's how I was raised. You know, it's a cliche of you've got to be an engineer, doctor, right? All of that stuff. I wish I had, right, the means and the mindset to, to choose what, what felt the right for me. But it was still too early in life. Or that level of awareness, I think, for yeah. me, unfortunately.
0: And I mean, so. you had a lot going on. You had <laughs> on a whole new culture. I think you're being a little hard on yourself. <laughs> it's me. Ama- I mean, a lot of people who have the means and who have, you know, the uh, ability and start off at a different place than you did uh, work their whole lives in a career that they don't love. So it's you. I think you did it pretty early <laughs> on. Thank <laughs> I was, you. I would give yourself credit. <laughs> it Thank sounds you. like you You've done a lot, and you've pursued your dreams, and it's wonderful.
1: thank you. it <laughs> so I, excited I to hear I accredit a lot of this to the cooking school that I attended. I think we can we can all understand the word intuitive, but i but what I learned from this school, I think well the the medium was the food, but I think the meaning was a lot deeper about trusting yourself and trusting the process. and Everything I have done, I link back to my, my amazing teacher and to this beautiful school that really taught me to, to learn to trust myself and to do due diligence. It isn't just a blind faith here, but um, that led me to you know pursue the cooking. That led me to yoga and that led me to sitting here. Well, that led me to psychotherapy and that then continues to lead me to all the crazy things that I'm doing these days uh, with food and with my life and and all of the above.
0: Wonderful. Okay. So now (laughs) let's get, I think we have good background. That's very enlightening. Yeah. Enlightening. (laughs) Uh, Thank you. So tell me, uh, how did you come to the Caspian shop? You started a little bit of the story. You said that you were cooking and then they said, you're Iranian. Why don't you teach us Persian food? (laughs) Yes. So, and at this so, point, you're a vegetarian, so you're making vegetarian Iranian food. Is that right?
1: Uh, yes. Okay. Yes. And I, oh my God. So this even brings up more of a funny stories. Um, I shamelessly was teaching Orma Sabzi with <laughs> with non-traditional proteins. I shamelessly was uh-huh. making... This in June. You were ahead of
0: your time. (laughs) Ahead of your time. Okay.
1: (laughs) I think I think now I can look back and think of it that way. But at that time, I remember um, through this organization that I teach here, they have these. We have these summer festivals here. We used to have them. We will soon once again have them. These festivals, and they are like, okay, we're going to put you on this stage, give (laughs) you a little headphones, and you got to make this food. Fess and June of all things, right? I don't know how the heck I pulled off a Fess and June on a stage,
0: Uh but
1: I used, I used Satan, I believe prepared Satan, which is a weekly. Yeah. And you know, the majority is, is Seattle demographic. It's, it's all shades, all colors, all backgrounds, all diversity. And, and then there are inevitably Iranians that uh, were there just to check out this this crazy guy ate, hey, but they, well they didn't know I was crazy yet they 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 came in because they heard fessa and 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 they wanted to get a taste of it or experience of it, and then they realized, I'm not using chicken, I'm using satan <laughs> and and this this i I will never forget this this elderly gentleman came to the stage afterward and he spoke to me in Farsi. can I say what he said in Farsi? Yes, please yeah, he said, oh. oh. She called June ma. What <laughs> have you done to our Fesenjun? <laughs> oh, in a not such a proud sentiment. Uh, like, oh, you really no. messed it up, dude. And <laughs> I really, again, I think while well, today I can say, oh, yes, I was, or you might say I was ahead of time, I think then I was just like, I'm trying to make it work, right? It's, it's the food that I, I still have a familiar palate for. But I'm not eating chicken, so I'm still trying to make it work and Seattle, bless it, there's plenty of vegetarians here, right that <laughs> I'm gearing it toward a different demographic, but certainly that that memory is is will always be with me so that's kind of the the vegetarian end of it. but um I started the blog I started in what year did you
0: start the blog? The
1: blog I think blog started um, in 20, end of 2018 or first of 2019. I think if I'm getting the years right. Um, I think it was before
0: this call, you were telling me how you named it the Caspian chef. Do you want to tell that?
1: Sure. The the Caspian chef was, you know, I was thinking, okay, so what's my identity? What am I going to be? And I, you know, randomly started going on, on Instagram, searching for, you know, names that, to see if they're available or not available, and I think I did a few. And they were all taken, including the Persian chef. I'm like, oh god, I'm so glad that was taken because, really, I, that's. I mean, I I could be a little bit more creative in coming up with a Persian <laughs> yeah, yeah. chef, and I was just like, ah, I, I really, you know, nothing would make me. Tear up faster than the memories of Daria Kenar and by being by the beach and growing up by the beach. And while in Iran we don't say Caspian Sea, we say Daria Khazar, but but the English version of it, I thought, Caspian, Caspian Sea, Caspian Chef, let me search for it. And lo and behold, it was available. So that became kind of the identity around it. And part of the inspiration for the blog was since I was teaching classes. I was always referencing other people's work. You know, you can go to this blog and um a comprehensive list of amazing Persian dishes and and it wasn't like, you know, I thought, well, why wait, why don't I have I mean, I, I've now got a good repertoire of dishes under my belt. I now actually know <laughs> how to make Persian food much better than 15, 20 years ago when I was faking it essentially. Uh why don't i start something on my own and and just kind of cluelessly I, I arrived at oh i'm a blogger now uh, <laughs> and i posted the first blog and and i had no idea how blogs work and who it's kind of like a drop in an ocean you know you're a nobody nobody knows you and unless you know, five of my friends knew to come and 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 check out my recipes but outside of that people didn't know and i distinctly remember the first Comment or like, I got. I was just like, wait, what? (laughs) Who? How how
0: did you find me? Yeah.
1: So that's how it started.
0: Salam, Bahamiki. It's Layla with a quick break here in the conversation to tell you about our Chai and Conversation Language program. If you're not familiar with our work, we've been producing Persian language lessons for over 10 years now and they're all available on our website at Conversation.com. You'll find conversational Persian lessons, reading and writing lessons, and even Persian poetry lessons, as well as a robust blog with cultural topics and much, much more. So again, that's Conversation.com with chai spelled C-H-A-I. Check it out and enjoy.
1: The bulk of the... the intention behind the casket and chef really started ironically in a therapy session. Um, we had the election in 2016 and, you know, whichever side of the aisle you come from, there were quite a few people that I would see in my counseling sessions that were really having a difficult time. People of color, people of different, um, minority segments. They were having a difficult time. And I was sitting in a session with a client who was processing through his grief and trauma. And and out of nowhere, he just lifted himself up and got taller, chest puffed up. And he's like, you know what? I got to do something I'm good at. And I heard him. And then as I say that, I'm still getting goosebumps because I just, the light bulb went off for me that I too got to do something I'm good at. And what I'm good at is being in the kitchen and I'm, and I'm experienced teaching classes. So I'm good at r- noticing how being Iranian and and how marginalized we can be. And we are, and with an administration that maybe wasn't terribly fond of, of people that look like me or where we come from. And I thought, For the first time, I feel like I need to stand for everything I have worked so hard to reject and deny and put aside. And I, for the first time, felt like I want to feel. I want to feel what it's like to be an Iranian. And part of that is with a tremendous joy. And a huge part of it is with a tremendous grief and sadness as part of my Iranian ness. And so that became. The reason because at that time I had completely given up on on, I'd moved on from personal chef work, obviously. I had stopped teaching all cooking classes. I was just a good old little therapist going to the office and, and doing my job. And that inspired me to reach back out to my community and I got lined up and signed up to start teaching Persian cooking classes again. And I have not stopped since 2016. I teach two, three, four, five, six, seven classes a month, Um, different locations and pandemic obviously influenced a lot of online things. And now once again, back in person and just felt like it wasn't a job, it wasn't a um, hobby, but rather it was my activism. It was my advocacy work. And so I think then the Caspian chef took it to slightly different turn. For it's not just about teaching you how to saute an onion, but it's about what I realized. Part of my signature is telling a tale, telling a story. P, you know, Google Walmart, Sabzi, you get fifty million hits. Like there is, there's, it's, there's no shortage of information out there. How I wanted to be different and how I set myself apart was. I'm going to tell a story about this gorma sabzi. And I actually, gorma sabzi, my blog post is one of my favorite because it actually talks about the contradictions that is part of this dish. There's this beautiful fresh herb that you fry, (laughs) you saute for a half hour. Like people, it's full of contradiction, much like Iran itself, much like my relationship with Iran. So that today is my all-time favorite post.
0: What a beautiful <laughs> journey. Thank you so much for sharing that. And we'll definitely link to the Gorma Abzi story for people to Thank look you. at. That's such a, yeah, I always say, you know, we were talking again before this about how I started this project too. And it was a way of, um, you know, a lot of my friends here in Austin are artists and musicians. and And I think art is a wonderful way to create understanding. But over the years, and, and, you know, I thought I can teach language. That's the thing that I can do. And language is also a good way of understanding. But there's nothing like food to really get to the heart and soul of people. I mean, good food, you know, just helps you understand in a very visceral way about a culture. And I think that's so wonderful sharing our food with people.
1: Absolutely. And so these days I'm doing a lot of hands-on cooking classes mm-hmm. where the students are cooking the food and then we are eating at this big, long table, 20 people wow. eating all that. They're not all
0: Iranians? <laughs> they're all no, different? Okay. No.
1: Of, of the, you know, this is Seattle. Um, mm-hmm. And while I may have one Iranian, whether born in the U.S. or born abroad, whatever uh, combination of it, Typically, there may be one Iranian student, wow. but the majority is, and, and, and I had to make sure that I go around the table and ask them, what possessed you? What, what motivated you to come to this class? Because I'm fascinated because they've heard something about Tadiq. They've heard something about Gormesabzi, they They have a friend. They tell a story about how they grew up next to this Iranian family, and oh my god, they always made amazing food. But they want, and they want to know how to make it. So people come to these classes from such different paths of life, different cultures, different background. And at the end of the day, we're sitting here and eating Qurma sabzi and and mastochiyr and and salat chirozi together in Seattle, and it really just brings me so much joy i mean these classes are a lot of hard work uh it doesn't just happen <laughs> it's an eight-hour class from the beginning to clean up um uh, but the but the but what truly feeds me is what really what i set out to do this is my this is my resistance work this is my advocacy work this is let others know who we are as iranians and i always share them with them my story because they think, oh, what a wonderful model of Iranian citizen Omid must be. And I'm very transparent and I say I'm absolutely making up for 30 years of turning Iran off. I'm making up for all the lost times that I had uh, lost my connection with this country and with my own heritage and language and, and food.
0: Right. And that makes sense why I connect so much with your uh, recipes, because, you know, I didn't really learn cooking from my family. Uh, So it's good to see. It does feel like a bit of an outsider perspective, but also a deeply personal one. Yes. It's a great combination of the two. So then now going back to your quote. So how has your experience (laughs) with the the Persian language been since you since then? So
1: it certainly has improved. Um, I. I think I've, I've had to accept, and this is such a strange thing to say, I've had to accept that I, unbeknownst to me, apparently I have an accent when I speak wow.
0: Farsi. Because <laughs> okay.
1: in my head, I'm just speaking Farsi the way I think I'm speaking Farsi, right? But then I, I'm told, like, you have an accent. And then when I listen to myself, I hear that accent. But the accent piece aside, I mean, I, I left Iran at age 16 Um, and so my spoken Farsi never really, you know, I I didn't go to college. I didn't do political debate (laughs) in Farsi, right? So I can get away with kind of a very simple conversational dialogue, right? Right. right, just easy peasy, nothing complicated. You know, sometimes, sometimes I get an Iranian client who, who assumes that I could speak in Farsi and I have to be absolutely very clear. Like I am completely incompetent in, in <laughs> conducting a session in Farsi, but my, it has improved. Um, I spent some of last year doing online cooking events in, in Farsi with a, with an amazing friend, Hanum Kamyar who lives in Iran and she is a TV personality in Iran TV. And, and it was just, the, that's where the, the having to look up words were, because what do I know about kneading a dough or, or some of the spices that aren't, you know, parsley and cilantro? I, I mm. literally had to look them up.
0: So how do you say kneading dough?
1: Vars d'odan.
0: <laughs> Vars d'odan, okay, I didn't know that. <laughs> okay.
1: I had to look it up. I'm like, kneading. Yeah. Yeah, certain words I never learned in Farsi. So why would I be able to access it 40 years later? Right. Um, so that process, and I think accepting, it's, it's such a strange phenomenon. Like to the extent that I was ashamed of not being able to speak English well, I was now once again faced of being ashamed of not being speaking your mother's language well. And I would get flustered, you know, there are like two people, 10 people, 50 people watching on Instagram, you know, mind you, it's not high stakes here, but nonetheless, I would just like, I, 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 and I can't even describe what it is because describing takes a whole different skill set that I didn't have. And so my goal was when I spoke, when I taught these uh, Farsi things, uh, shows, classes, my goal was to not sprinkle too many English words just stay with what I know and even if I struggle don't don't be don't constantly switch to to using English so I think from that perspective I was reasonably successful um and then it improved and to this and then at this point you know I speak more Farsi with my mom um but that is once again about the extent I of it. I clearly now have a lot more Iranian community that I'm involved with here in Seattle. You know, we all lived here for many years, so sometimes it is English, and sometimes it is Farsi English, and sometimes it is Farsi. So it continues to be a blend.
0: So, what would you say to other people? Like, do, would you say that learning the Persian language or knowing it or becoming better at it is important? What oh. do you think?
1: Oh, of course it is, right? I think um, a lang- learning languages is, is an important facet, uh, be it English, be it Farsi, be it uh, Russian, be it Spanish. I think language is a strong asset uh, from many different perspectives. But in this very specific, I think it is a way the nuances that per- and every language has its nuances, but obviously, I look at the now. I look at the Persian language with such adoring eyes and ears, like the sound of the words, the references. Uh, I have uh, perhaps you even know her um, good friend Ponteo, who uh, who lives in Iran at this point. Um, yeah,
0: pers- my, pers- my Persian corner. corner. Yeah. Yes
1: like I I somehow bumped into her on Instagram and we chit chat and I adore like what she presents out there, what you are doing here today, right. In, In not just today, but what you have been doing for the past decade in, because there are just some sentiments that don't translate into English. And there's just such, you know, Farsi as you understand it and as I know it as well, that it's so symbolic. It's so poetic. It's so, Silly, delicious, quirky sometimes that uh, that I think, if we have any connection with Iran, I think it' really important to know these sweet, endearing sentiments, and a level of fluency. I think it's reasonable to accept that I will never speak Farsi the way you know my cousin living in Iran would would speak Farsi, but that now I choose to learn and to practice and to expose myself to that tension of, I don't know what that word is, but I'm going to go find it. I'm going to go look it up. no longer have those dictionaries, but I now put it (laughs) in Google Translate and and it gives it right back.
0: I love that. And I love that, you know, like you said, there's this Instagram community that we can reference. There's people making food. There's so many different ways to learn. You can learn by loving a dish and learning what ingredients goes into that dish, which which I do all the time. <laughs> you can learn through people like Ponteo, who's in Iran. We'll, we'll link to her work as well. It's wonderful. She, she goes around and shows different places that she visits, and she has a great insight into uh, the culture and everything. Um, and then you can learn just the language. And like you said, don't be too hard on yourself. Just learn as best as you can. Maybe you're not going to be fluent without an accent, but that is okay. We're all trying our best. And I think that's a wonderful thing to think (laughs) and a wonderful, wonderful place to, to end this on. Uh, I think I have, I have one more question actually. Um, What do you hope for the future of the diaspora and, and the future of your work as well in the diaspora? Uh, That's
1: a, beautiful question and a complicated question. Perhaps um, I think I hope for more connection. I think, um, you know, social media certainly has been an element that has introduced me and allowed me to connect with folks that I wouldn't have otherwise. So I want more of that so that I think, you know, kind of going back to the whole process of assimilation, I think Being made more aware of what's happening to all of us that are of people of color, of minorities or from different cultures and backgrounds, that that's a race we will never finish and we will never win. I will never speak English well enough. I will never behave American enough. And that's okay for as long as I can also find other ways that I can relate and connect and maintain my identity. I think these are kind of lived life wisdom and experiences that I have gained um, that I certainly didn't have earlier in life. And so what I hope for the next generation is kind of an acceptance of themselves as they are this hybrid. um, uh, I'm, the stationery, what's the name of the book? Um, I, I should look it up. Or the stationery in, in Tehran or uh, Marjan Kamali, I think. Yeah, I,
0: I know is, it. I have it on my bookshelf. Let me yeah. The stationery shop.
1: Beautiful. <laughs> I love that book. And part of the reason she talks, I'm, and I'm not sure actually if it was that specific book or one of her other books, she kept focusing on the hyphen Iranian American. And I just loved the way she referenced it, because it's true, because it resonated so deeply that we never fall. I certainly don't fall on one end or the other, but I'm always straddling this hyphen. And its hyphen is a small place. <laughs> and so to be grounded in that hyphen, to find your own sense of self in that hyphen um, is what I wish for, for the next generation and for this generation that have perhaps been People like me that just kind of let their part of the past go and felt disconnected and um, and are missing out,
0: I think, mm-hmm. in some ways. It's all part of the journey, though. I'm glad that you <laughs> ended uh, up where you are. Yeah. And what's yeah. next for Caspian Chef?
1: Oh, God. You know, it's <laughs> it's been... It's been a roller coaster of things I had never seen, never imagined could be part of it. Um, it was just going to be an Instagram and it was just going to be a blog. And um, I got great, amazing, delightful collaborations. Um, um, so there are many things that happened in the past tense. so I'll leave them be in the past tense. Um, but what's what seems to be moving, what's happening for me moving forward is I'm starting to write. I'm starting to write articles. I'm now a freelance contributor to several food websites. And I feel like, okay, so I got a little bit of population that I can tap into on my Instagram, but these are national, international, global food websites. And so, as I said earlier, like right now, my chicken pieces are marinating in saffron (laughs) and yogurt, because that's my assignment. And I'm going to write an article on Jujic Habab. So
0: (laughs) (laughs) great. And where can people find you? We'll link to all this uh, on the page, on the show notes for this podcast episode. But um, yeah, go ahead, your website and your Instagram.
1: Sure, everything. I was fortunate enough uh, (laughs) to be able to kind of secure everything under the Caspian chef. So the blog is at the thecaspianchef.com. And uh, one last thing I would say I often joke about is like, I am old enough that I should know better that I should not be dabbling into uh, TikTok. But <laughs> I went on TikTok and secured the Caspian Chef just in case. Okay.
0: <laughs> if I- one day. I've just started that too, but I will say TikTok is a lonely place for me. Everybody's very young. I I, I put things yes. in there. I feel like it's crickets, but yeah, I'm there too. So I'll find you. <laughs> At least we'll find, we'll know each other.
1: <laughs> I'll be your friend if you be my friend on on the TikTok. Otherwise, yeah, I'm just uh, most of my activity
0: is we should we should call it the TikTok. The, <laughs> the TikTok. I'll see you on the TikTok. <laughs> TikTok. <laughs> you just gave yourself away with that. though That's not not what the kids call it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right, exactly. These kids these days.
0: (laughs) Well me, Jen, that was it was so wonderful to talk to you and I'm I'm glad that we had this whole year to marinate this conversation because I feel like we had a lot to talk about.
1: <laughs> we sure did, Niran. Yeah. I am so grateful. Um, I appreciate the work that you are doing. And as you as you said, when you reached that last year, it was with astounding yes that I would be delighted. And so here we are, and it was exactly everything that I had hoped,
0: Oh and much wonderful.
1: better than that. So thank you, thank
0: you, you so thank much you for all and your work. Thank you. And I also, my three-year-old is named Caspian, as I've told you. So yes. anytime I make one of your recipes, I feel like he has a... He doesn't oh. understand it, but he has a special connection.
1: I love that. With I those love recipes. That.
0: Yeah, so thank you it. again. And uh, good luck on everything else that you're doing. And and I'm Merci. sure we'll see a lot more from you in the future. Merci. <laughs> <laughs> okay, khuda <laughs>
1: hafiz.
0: And that's the end of the conversation with Omid Roustay, the Caspian chef. To see the show notes for the episode, check out our website at com slash Caspian Chef, and you'll see links to everything we talked about in this episode. Our theme music was written and performed by Babak Rajabi, the episode was edited by Chadwick Wood, and I'm your host, Leila Shams. And until next time, Khoda Hafez.